there. Welcome back to the show. We are talking today to Neil Mammon. He is the co-founder of Every Black Life Matters. And uh, we conducted this interview over at the NRB 2023, which is the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. It was a wonderful, wonderful week uh, full of amazing people and energy and a great time. And I got to do all these really cool interviews with these incredible people uh, who are out there in the world doing great works. And uh, it was a joy, an absolute joy. And uh, Neil was wonderful to talk with. I told him before we even started, we chatted for a few minutes beforehand. And uh, he's such an eloquent speaker and so smart. Um, all of them were. That's not a uh, you know disservice to anyone else that I spoke to, and and uh, you know so he's he's not the exception; he's the rule. <laughs> but he was uh, wonderful, and and I said, oh my goodness, you're going to make my job so easy. I think I'm just going to throw a question at you and let you run with it. And uh, he was terrific, and he sure did. And uh, it was such a jam packed, informative um, interview. He had so many incredible things to say. And, you know, one of the things that, um, well, let me backtrack a little bit. Uh, I had shared, uh, I think a clip or a picture or something and tagged, uh, every black life matters, their organization in it. And, you know, inevitably it always happens that somebody doesn't take the time to research and they don't think before they speak. And somebody commented on one of the platforms, um, you know, right away, all lives matter, you know, at big exclamation points and everything. And, and uh, so I wanted to address that. And Neil talks about this as well. Uh, they talk about it on the website, everything. It's a, there's a very clear explanation. And once you read that, you understand. So right away, when people hear, of course, when they hear Black Lives Matter and when they hear every Black Life Matters organizations, the response oftentimes is, well, all lives matter. They're not saying that all lives don't matter. They're not saying that at all. All Black Lives Matter was a direct response to Black Lives Matter, which was a very exclusive um, group and very particular about whose Black lives mattered to them. And this organization came about because of that, and they wanted to really address the value of Black lives and the ones that that other organization was ignoring, uh, namely unborn babies, uh, unborn Black babies and the, the abortion rate, the high long-term, long-term, long-time abortion rate of um, Black babies. So this was a, a direct counter to all of that. And uh, it's a pretty exceptional organization doing really amazing things. So don't misunderstand and misconstrue. Just educate, educate, educate. Go to the website, learn, find out what they're all about and what they're actually doing, uh, which is pretty wonderful, incredible stuff. And uh, Neil also talked about uh, a book uh, he's as author, as well as speaker and co-founder of uh, Every Black Life Matters. And uh, the book that he's coming out next with is uh, one that should be on every single bookshelf in America, maybe all over the world. Um, but 
enough of me going blah, blah, blah. Let's go watch the interview. Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to the show. I'm Elsa Kurt. We are here at the NRB convention, and my guest right now is Neil Mammon, and we're going to be talking about his foundation that he co-founded, which is Every Black Life Matters. And um, what you guys are doing is pretty incredible and completely contrary and different to what that other other group <laughs> Uh, is doing their well. I mean, we can't even call it a mission. Is it even a mission at this point? It's just it a, was a mission chaos. to get a lot of money. Yes, <laughs> yes, clearly, clearly, money that I think still to this day hasn't been yeah, accounted been, for, right? Or returned. Or yeah. returned. Yes. So uh, let's talk about what a good foundation does and is doing. Tell tell everyone about every Black Life Matters. Yeah. Well, so we started in 2020. My actually it was my wife's idea. She looked at me and she said, hey, you know, um, some of our Christian friends are going out and protesting with BLM. Mm. And she said, you know, the problem is that they don't, uh, they don't realize BLM is Marxist, but they want people to know they're not racist. Uh, they're not a racist family. So, so she said, you know, there needs to be an alternative, a Christian alternative to s- express support with African-Americans, but at the same time, not be Marxist and all the bad things. So she said, you should call up your buddy, Kevin, my buddy, Kevin, and I've known Kevin for many years. So I called Kevin up and I said, hey, Kevin, you, and because he works with the Frederick Douglass Foundation and Douglass Leadership Institute. I said, you and the Douglass Leadership Institute needs to start this alternative to BLM. At least put something on your website, say right. we're the alternative, we're the Christian alternative. And he's a great idea, calls back to the head office, and, and they're like, you know, this is a great idea, Kevin, but we're too busy. Mm. You and Neil should start it. So Kevin calls me up. You know, it's like that you go to the pastor and the pastor, and you say, yeah. we need a parking lot ministry. The pastor says, yeah, you're hired, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so that's exactly yeah. what I, so Bishop Dean Nelson says, you know, you, you and Neil are hired, right? Well, uh, so Kevin calls me up and says, I guess we're starting it. I said, Kevin, I don't know if you've looked, but I'm not black. <laughs> He said, no, but you are African-American. You see, I was born in Ghana, and oh, I grew up, my, okay. in fact, until I was 13, I was in, the, in Africa in the Middle wow. East, right? So I was born there, grew up there, Jamaica, Ethiopia, Sudan, Yemen, um, and my parents are of Indian ancestry. So we said, okay, we got to start something, but we wanted it to be so similar in name to BLM because that's what we're, we're in the same lane. Yes. Because, you know, there's, there's lots of other good organizations like the Woodson Institute and all that. Great, great people, great man, but uh, nobody thinks of them when they think of BLM. Right. So we said we got to use the same words. And so we thought about it and we wanted all lives matter. It doesn't, and not all lives, all black lives matter or black lives matter too. And we settled on every black life matter. Cause, and it's funny because the minute we hit upon it, mm-hmm. we all knew that people were, cause people listen to that and they go, yes. Yes, because yes. they know it's a different from BLM, Black right. Lives Matter. Well, every Black Lives Matter. So that's how we started. And then we thought, okay, well, how do we then, we know we have a mission to spread the truth. Okay. And the two missions here are to express the issue with the problems with black plight, because there is a black plight going on. And I'll talk about that in a bit. But the second thing was to counter BLM. So we went down BLM's website and we found everything that they stood for. We said, well, yeah. We still stand, we stand for the opposite of that. And that's exactly the problem with why blacks are in the position they are in. So they were against fatherhood and nuclear family. So we said nuclear family, active yes. fatherhood. They were against educational choice. They wanted kids to be stuck in the school, public school system. We're like, hey, no, we're against, we're for school choice. And they're definitely not pro-life. And so the first thing we said, we're pro-life. So we are, um, you know, we, we believe life matters from the womb to the tomb. So, 
it became very apparent. Sure. And then, of course, they they condone violence, so we're nonviolent. So this is this is how we start. But we do think that there needs to be a criminal justice reform because right. there are bad cops, mm-hmm. and we want to separate the bad cops from the good cops. So these so this is how we started. But I want to go back to the story of, of black plight. The reason African Americans are in the plight they are and can be pointed. And I actually in the middle of writing a book Wonderful. called "How to End Racism in America." And I'm, an instant bestseller right there, instant. And I'm going to give you the answer. You don't need to buy the book. You could, you'll have the so answer right that. here. <laughs> but but it'll, I'll document the reasons behind it. So here's, if you go back to the 1930s, at the height of racism in America, right, the African-American family was actually doing quite well. If you walk down to any African community, uh, African-American community, you would see fathers surrounded by their children, uh, playing, they would be playing in the yard or they're playing with the kids. Or if you went downtown, you'd see fathers with a group of kids behind them. And if you walk down the streets and look through the windows at e- in the evening, you would see fathers around the table praying. Now you go through the African-American community, you see shuttered bars, you see nobody behind the doors, you don't see anybody outside because they're afraid to go outside. Why? Because something happened between the 1930s and the 1970s. If you go back to the 1930s, the literacy rate in the African-American community was 70%. That means 70% of African-Americans could read and write well enough to actually do business in, in, in English, right? So now let's fast forward to the 1970s. 1970s comes about, and no African-American will ever vote for a Democrat. Why? Because the Republicans were the ones that got him out of slavery. Lyndon Johnson has a problem. He can't win the South without the African-American vote. So he comes up with a plan, and he says, literally, we're going to have those ends voting for us for the next 200 years. And the plan is to make them completely dependent. And he's a racist, mm-hmm. well-known fact that he was a racist. So he goes in, and he says, I'm going to destroy the African-American family and make them dependent on the state. So, and we have, in fact, we, we're going to have an interview shortly with uh, a, a lady who's, who grew up in Chicago. And she said her mother would have the social worker come into her and say, look, if you get rid of your husband, I can get you more, double the amount of money in welfare per child. Wow. And then she said her aunt would actually get called saying, throw that bum out. When I, at least when I come there, hide his coat and his keys and his shoes so I can tell the state that there's no father in the home. Mm-hmm. So an active thing to move the fathers out of the house. What happens when you get fathers out of the house? You get kids, young girls who are looking for attention, male attention. They get sexually active. Young men cannot be handled and their moms can't handle it. And what they get involved in gangs and violence and uh, drugs. So what happens when those gangs and violence and everything gets into the schools? You get bad grades. So right. um, bad grades, bad literacy. They're not teaching anything in schools. They're trying to, the kids are afraid of, I mean, the, uh, the, the teachers are afraid of the kids. Sure. So African-American literacy rate at the height of racism, 1930s, mm-hmm. 70%. Today, you're lucky if it's 18%. That is such an incredible incredibly drastic difference that it's 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 honestly yeah. shocking fatherlessness rate yes. in the 1930s something like 20 percent 21 percent today 75 percent right. okay? i have read that yes right now now add to that uh and we'll come we'll bring in abortion shortly mm-hmm. but add to that that now you have a active liberal group of people mm-hmm. trying to raise the minimum wage in the 1930s, African-Americans were actually quite successful. Why? Because they would go into a, uh, let's say that you were an owner of, not you, but let's say somebody was an owner of a, of a business, sure. and they were racist. Mm-hmm. The African-American would come in and say, look, I know you have a construction business, but I will work for half the wage of the white man. Mm-hmm. Oh, I will do this clerical job for half the wage of a white woman. Mm-hmm. Guess what? 
I'm if if you're a racist owner, you're like green is good. Right. I don't care if you're so black. I want yeah. the money, right? right? So you're gonna hire them. A group of people called the KKK mm. said this is not acceptable. And they came up with an idea for the minimum wage. Wow. 1930s, minimum wage, around that 1938, I believe, minimum wage kicks in. Guess what the minimum wage is? It's the minimum wage that the white man will like, will wants for the job. Mm. So now you're a black young man who's willing to work. You go to a white racist owner. He goes, I can't hire you unless I pay you the full price. I don't like black people anyway. I'm not going to hire you. I'm going to buy a white man. Literacy, I mean, uh, employment goes down in the black community and skills go down in the black. Before they were doing those skills back, in fact, eight of the airplanes owned in some of the airports, mm-hmm. uh, in, like there was a small, I think it was in Oklahoma, eight of the airplanes were owned by black people. Really? Right? So you can see how that prosperity came back in the city. They sure. don't like that. So now what you're doing is we have a minimum wage of $15 an hour. Who's going to hire a black kid who can read or write or can do inventory, can order stock or anything? Guess what? The effective minimum wage for black kids is zero because mm. they're not going to get that job. So you start looking at all these things, you realize that the problem is the government. As Ronald Reagan said, government is not the solution. Government is the problem. And so we have a plan, and, and the book will talk about the plan. I'll give you some of the ideas. Well, first of all, you've got to stop getting the fathers out of the home. Yes, absolutely. We, you, I hate government money, but sometimes government causes problems. You've got to move it out. And I can't say we can't stop giving black folks welfare, sure. because, which is the right solution to the problem, because it's not going to work. People will call you a race hall. So I got a better plan. Mm-hmm. We want Congress to pass a law that says if you are the father, genetic father of a child in the home of a mother on welfare, you get more money. Ah, uh, okay. okay. We're going to incentivize fatherhood. Yes. <clears throat> so now you come in, you go, hey, if I have a child, I'm gene- right. and if there are other kids, they're fine too. But if I'm at least the father of one of those children, we are going to get more money. The woman now has incentive to keep the man in the house. The man is now responsible for that, her income. So it, now things are changing. School educational choice. You know, again, I, I don't, you know, somebody joked and asked me, says, do you think there should be prayer in public schools? And I said, well, to be honest, I don't think there should be prayer in public school. And they were shocked. <laughs> like, why don't you think there should be prayer in public school? I said, because I don't think there should be children in public school. <laughs> oh, I like, I like that. I like that a <laughs> but lot. But we yes. can't get that done overnight. Right. So what we do is we need vouchers. Kids need, there are 80% of black parents want mm-hmm. a voucher to take their kids out of those public schools. Okay. But who's not letting them do it? Unions and the left. Right. So that's a racism. That's racism right there. Absolutely. How come you're not giving vouchers to the black kids? I mean, maybe you don't want to give them to the white kids. I think everybody should get. Mm-hmm. But, but at least you're a racist if you don't want sure. to give them to the black kids. So that's one. Minimum wage has to go, right? Mm-hmm. So these are all the things that can fix this. And I'm telling you, within 20 years, there will be no racism. Why is there racism in America? The racism in America is because 53% of all homicides are done by 13%. Right. Yes. Of the population, yes. which are black kids. So when you are a store owner and you see a black kid come in there, you're thinking, this guy fits the demographic mm-hmm. of a violent criminal. Naturally, I'm going to be biased against sure. him. Right? right? It's, it happens. While, and you, you see on the news all these black kids. So now you start putting fathers back in the home. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Now you don't associate blacks with crime. Right. I love that you put that as the number one also, that you bring the fathers back into the home, incentivize all of that, because uh, it, it is shocking. When you lay it out like this, it is absolutely shocking uh, to know and to realize that this is this is so orchestrated and calculated, and that should enrage 
people. It enraged. should enrage everybody. Yes, yeah. everybody, yeah. not just the black community. Everyone should be outraged and offended and disgusted by that <clears throat> and, and doing, uh, you know, what you're doing. And now this book that you're writing, we, we need to know the release date. We need, <laughs> I mean, you, I hope this will be out yesterday. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, It's a short book because, as, as I said, I've sure. summarized the argument. What I'm, it's going to have all the documentation mm -hmm. and all the uh, recommendations there. But, but the reality is the fix is in our hands. Right. And then, of course, we've got to address Planned Parenthood here. Yes. Um, if you think about it, there are 44 million African Americans mm -hmm. today. Um, there would have been 64 million. 20 Wait, yeah, million. Repeat that again. Say that again. There are 44 million African Americans today. Yeah. There would have been 64 million. Wow. 20 million, that's almost 50% of them, have been killed before they were allowed to be born. Now, you talk about a genocide, a racist genocide of people. 80% of Planned Parenthoods are within walking distance or in black communities. Mm. Why? Right. Now, people yeah. say, oh, because they need those services. No, no, no. There are thousands right. of other places right. that will do That's it. That's what the left will tell you. Yeah. There are thousands <laughs> of other places yes. that will provide those services. Yes. Your services are killing black babies because you get a thousand bucks a baby if you can delay it to a late-term abortion. Wow. Now, tell me exactly what every Black Life Matters does in the way it's, it's obviously advocacy, education. Education, advocacy. We, 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 reach, we, we are very active in, in CRT, talking about how dangerous CRT is. We're very active in connecting Marks and Darwin. And so we've got a plan to try and change the flip the school boards. Um, I mean, if you realize that Marx and Darwin were both utter racists, yes. and yet most school curriculums don't mention that, mm -hmm. so we want the schools to go in, and if a board member refuses to add that Marx and Darwin was a racist or pull their books and their materials from it, then the school board member is a racist, and then we're going to run somebody against you. Nice, nice. Okay. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I know this is an incredible uphill battle because the, the climate that we're living in right now is, you know, it feels as if that they have taken over, that the left has taken over everything. Um, but, you know, I, I think messages like yours and what you're doing, your foundation is doing, uh, gives hope and inspiration. And the really the <clears> biggest tool is education. And I love that you're doing that. Will you please tell everyone exactly what the website is that they can go to and how they can support? So, so the two websites is... Um, everyblm.com. That's our website, and you can find a lot of information about those. We're actually also going to Nigeria. We're going to be training a bunch of Nigerian politicians because wokeness is coming there, so we teach against CRT and wokeness, so everyblm.com. And I wrote a book called Jesus is Involved in Politics. You, Why yes. aren't you? Why yes. isn't your church? And that book actually... Um, uh, Ken talks about why Christians need to be involved, and you can go to JesusIsInvolvedInPolitics.com. So JesusIsInvolvedInPolitics.com. So those are the two websites that you can definitely beautiful. I love that, us. and I hope everybody goes and 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 educates themselves and do do what they can to help and just be aware um, because this affects everyone. This is an everyone problem, and um, I, I thank you for what you're doing and your your hard work and your just your passion. So thank, thank you, you so very much. much. It was also. wonderful meeting you. I appreciate you. it. Thank, thank you. you. Thank Guys, thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. It was an incredible interview. Please go to those websites and, and get some, some really important education on these matters. Take care, guys. All lives don't matter until black lives matter. This is a truth, and most everyone agrees with the sentiment. Many, however, cannot embrace Black Lives Matter as an organization. This is why we've started an exciting new movement called Every Black Life Matters. We recognize black plight goes beyond police brutality. Black plight can actually happen at any phase in the lifespan of black life. 
Fundamentally, black life is precious and should be protected and supported from conception to natural death. You can't seriously support the notion that black lives matter unless and until you embrace the fact that every black life matters. Visit Every Black Life Matters. Visit us at www.everyblm.org. I told you he would be great. Hey guys, if you're enjoying these series, if you're enjoying the channel, please make sure you go and subscribe and we'll see you in the next one. It's going to be another great interview. You don't want to miss it. You know, it. when people come to you and say, well, you know, if God loves, if God loves everyone, then and why shouldn't he accept transgenderism? Why shouldn't that be okay? What would your response be to, to that? I get this question all the time, <laughs> and it's an easy question after you think about John 3.16. When John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, so that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus would be saved. So I always go to John 3.16, and I say that there is no human issue that cannot be discussed through that lens. So then I remind people we cannot silo any concern or any issue. Gender confusion, sexual identity, the issue of race, there's one blood and one human race. There are no separate races. You're looking for the perfect gift for the reader in your life. Why not check out one of my books? They're all available on Amazon and most major online book retailers as well as elsacurrent.com.